Amen. Well, the scripture reading this morning comes from Daniel chapter 7. We're reading the first 14 verses. This is the reading of the Word of God. In the year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. And the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. After this, I looked back and behold, another like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back. The beast had four heads and dominion was given to it. After this, I saw in the night visions and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful, and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the other beasts that was before it. It had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of man and a mouth speaking great things. As I looked, Thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousands served him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were open. I looked then, because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. As I looked, the beast was killed, its body destroyed, given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beast, their dominion was taken away, but their life was prolonged for a season of, sun, of time. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. Amen. This is a reading of God's word. Please join me in prayer. Father, thank you for this tremendous vision. And now give us insight into it. I thank you that, Lord, your spirit reveals your words, your mysteries, your truth, and it points us to the hope that we have. So we pray that you would speak through me, your servant. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We, if you just joined us, we've been going through a series of sermons on the book of Daniel. And we've seen that Daniel was an extraordinary man. We've seen him facing lions. We've seen him speaking truth to power. But now we reach chapter 7 in the book of Daniel. And at this chapter, the whole book takes a tremendous turn. We go from stories to these strange, jarring visions. This part of Daniel, uh, from 7 to the end, is called apocalyptic. It's That term apocalypse, it actually comes from uh, the first... Uh, word in the book of Revelation. The apocalypse is a genre of writing 
which is filled with uh, visions, metaphors, imagery. It's highly symbolic. It's jarring. Uh, apocalyptic literature becomes very, it's about the end of the world. And apocalyptic literature and ideas become very, very uh, popular, especially during times of uncertainty. That's why we are living now in a time when things are very uncertain. People are deeply pessimistic. And that's why today people are gravitating toward this idea of the apocalypse. In the last 10 years, when you look at the kind of movies that have dominated the box office, it's filled with apocalyptic movies. Think about movies like The Avengers, Hunger Games, Bird Box, uh, Mad Max, A Quiet Place. These are all apocalyptic films about the end of the world, humans trying to survive or preparing for the end to come. We are uh, a people thinking about the apocalypse. The, the real distinction, though, with the Bible is that the Bible does share with our modern resonance with the apocalypse, but it's very different as well. Biblical apocalyptic literature, it is, it shares that sense of foreboding, the danger, the strangeness, but biblical apocalyptic literature is ultimately hopeful. We're going to see here in Daniel and ultimately in Revelation that the apocalypse, the end of the world, has a hopeful, beautiful finale. And today, especially as we live in apocalyptic times, or so it seems, Daniel 7 gives us guidance of how to see through it. It tells us about our world and what's really wrong with it, but it gives us an ultimate hope. So as we look at this book in Daniel, we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at systemic evil, the king who reigns, and the hope of the kingdom. Those three things. But we're going to start with the problem, which is systemic evil. We've been tracking through the book of Daniel, and we've seen, it's about Daniel and his friends. They are exiled in Babylon. Uh, but instead of collapsing and simply trying to survive, what we've seen with Daniel is that he doesn't just survive, he thrives. In Babylon, he becomes uh, the right-hand man of the king. He, he thrives. He uh, ascends in prominence. But in Daniel 7, as we get to Daniel 7, we actually are going chronologically backwards. Daniel 7 starts at the beginning of the reign of King Belshazzar. And we remember him from Daniel chapter 5. Belshazzar was the arrogant, hedonistic king. During this grand banquet, he sees the writing on the wall. And God says to him, your time's up. This happens, this scene happens actually during the very beginning of the reign of King Belshazzar. Daniel has a dream himself. He has this vision while he's on his bed. In verse 2 to 3, it says this. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came out of the sea, different from one another. Daniel has this terrifying vision. And these visions, apocalyptic visions, are highly symbolic. They're often strange. They have terrifying images. Daniel has this terrifying vision, and it begins with four winds. Uh, 
symbolic of the four corners of the earth. There are these winds that are like hurricanes. And it's uh, creating havoc. It says that it's stirring up the great sea. See, in ancient times were places of great danger. They were threats. Daniel pictures his backdrop is this of this world that is unhinged. Things are unsettled. The creation is a place of great terror. And right in the middle of this terror are these four beasts. These four beasts. In verse 4, the first one is a lion with eagle's wings. The second beast is a bear with ribs in its teeth. The third beast is a leopard with four wings. And the final beast doesn't even have a specific animal. It's an amalgamation. It's terrifying. It's dreadful. It has ten horns and iron teeth. And these, uh, these creatures are terrifying hybrids. And the idea of the hybrid is that these are unnatural creations. This is creation that has gone awry. It's gotten twisted. It's not the way it's supposed to be. All of these beasts are terrifying. They're dangerous and violent. They are on the prowl. They are attacking. Uh, these beasts probably represent specific nations. In ancient times, uh, nations were often represented by animals. This is, off, this is the case today as well. Almost every single nation is represented by an animal. Americans have the eagle. Uh, they're, they're the British lion, Russian bear. South Korea has a tiger. Almost every nation has an animal, symbolic of it, even today. Uh, these animals are usually predatory animals that are strong, that are majestic, that have some kind of strength or nobility. And we see that these, these uh, animals represent nations or even people. That's why in verse 17, God actually tells Daniel what the dream is about. And he says in verse 17, These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. These, these animals represent leaders, people, powers. Uh, we see the final um, beast is the most terrifying of all beasts. He destroys the earth. He wreaks all kinds of havoc. He has supernatural abilities. He's persecuting. He's devouring. We're going to see in the book of Revelation that uh, Revelation points out that this beast is actually the Antichrist. He is Satan, the man of lawlessness. We're going to look at that. Why are we given this apocalyptic vision? Why is Daniel given this vision? Why is it coming to us? And the idea is in the first six chapters of the book of Daniel, we see political leaders. We see nations, Babylon, Persia. We see various kings and people in authority. But in Daniel chapter 7 to 12, we see behind all that, behind all these evil, ruthless kings and leaders, there's actually behind that a system of evil. There is a spiritual force of darkness which is leading all of that, which is behind all of that. You know, there's a lot of discussion today about this idea of systemic evil and more specifically systemic racism. And the idea of that is that not only are people sinful, 
the Bible says that people are sinful, but also systems are sinful. Systems have gone astray. And that makes sense because systems are made up of people. Sinful people lead, have influence, pass laws. And because people are sinful, systems can be sinful because they're made up of people. But the ultimate systemic uh, problem is this. There is an intelligent force that is directing, that is leading, that is maintaining everything in this world. Systemically, there is a spiritual force of darkness behind all of the darkness that we see today. It's intelligent. It causes disruption. It creates conflict. It feeds misinformation to all kinds of people. And worst of all, it's underground. It doesn't want to be seen. The essence of any good conspiracy is that it's underground. It doesn't want to be known. What is apocalyptic literature? Apocalyptic literature lifts the veil so we can see behind the scenes that behind all of these rulers and all of these injustices and all of this terror, and it lifts the veil with what's behind all of that. There are evil forces. There is intelligence which is misdirecting people. It's invading every a segment of our world or society. Why does God tell us this? Well, God tells us this so that we can know our enemy. The Bible says there are essentially three enemies, our flesh, the world, and the devil. We're often blind to the last one. And the Bible warns us about, secondly, being alert. We have to know our enemy. We also have to be alert. We have to be alert to the enemy. Peter says that the uh, devil is like a lion. Where's that metaphor from? The devil is like a lion prowling around, seeking someone to devour. And Peter says, be alert. Be aware of that. And the Apostle Paul says, because these are spiritual forces, we need to fight them with spiritual weapons. That's why Paul talks about taking up the whole armor of God. He talks about the word of God, faith, uh, prayer. These are spiritual weapons that we are to fight with. And finally, he tells us this so that we can stop fighting amongst ourselves. We can stop fighting with each other. And instead, we can fight for each other. You know, one of the strategies of the devil is to divide us. We see this with Christians today. Christians are constantly fighting each other. That's one of the strategies of Satan. He wants to divide us. He wants us to fight each other so that we don't fight true evil in this world. And the, the Bible says, wake up. Stop fighting with each other and start fighting for each other. There's more at stake. Daniel 7, he, he gives us this vision so that we can the veil can be lifted. We can see our true enemy. We can see what is at stake. We can see why this world is in ruins. It's not just political. It's spiritual. It has to do with me. It has to do with uh, this world, but it has to do with these spiritual forces that are around us. So secondly, what is the solution? Daniel points us. He tells us the problem, but he points us uh, to the power even beyond those powers. And this is the second point, the king who reigns. You know, a lot of us uh, during this time, including myself, have been very unsettled. It's been a very difficult year. 
there's been so much happening with this pandemic, with so much uh, uncertainty, so much division, and I wonder if things are ever going to get normal again. The vision of Daniel uh, does show us a problem, but it gives us also hope. It gives hope for us about uh, something and someone greater than all that darkness that's around us. And and this is the vision in verse 9. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were open. It says um, we are to look past the physical to the spiritual world of darkness. Daniel 7 takes us a, a step further. Not only can we, should we see the spiritual forces of darkness, we should ultimately see the true king. And we're given this grand vision of the true king. What is he like? He's called in verse 9, the ancient of days. You know, in today's culture, we, um, we applaud youth because they are the future. They're beautiful. They're energetic. But in ancient times, what was valued was age. Uh, gray hair was a crown. It was beautiful. You flocked to the old people. They had a lot of wisdom. Well, here is this ancient of days. From He has wisdom from all time. He, is, uh, he has the ultimate crown. His clothing is white as snow. His hair is pure wool. And he's on this fiery throne. He's on a throne that's literally on fire. And the wheels are ablaze because God is not just in one place. He's, he's everywhere. He's moving. God is not there. He's everywhere. This beautiful, powerful king above all things. And Daniel wants us to see that. Daniel gives us a perspective of earth being very chaotic, but God on his throne, his fiery throne. Psalm 2, there's a scene of nations raging. There's all kinds of conflict and tumult. But in Psalm 2, right after that, it says in verse 4, He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. God sits in heaven and he is amused because these kings think that they are the ones calling the shots. And God is on his throne. He laughs. He scoffs at them. Right now, things seem unhinged. Things seem like they are out of control. But Daniel gives us the reassurance that God is on his fiery throne. This is a doctrine called the providence of God. And that simply means that God is holding things together. He's controlling things. And he's also directing everything. That God is the writer, producer, director of all of life. It's all in his hands. In any great story, there's going to be darkness, tragedy, sadness. But the story doesn't end. There is an ultimate ending, a conclusion. God is directing things toward our good and his glory. That is the promise of God. In verse 11, we see God acting in human history. It says, And I looked then, 
because of the sound of the great word that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beast, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a series of time. It says the king acts, he takes the first beast, he throws it, he destroys it. The other three beasts, they're stripped of their power and authority. They're allowed to live. They're still causing trouble. And they await a final judgment. And the idea is that the king is in control. He's on his own. He's acting. He's not just watching. He's actively controlling and watching and directing everything. What does this picture do for us? Well, first it gives us peace. It gives us peace. One of the main messages of the book of Daniel is that despite appearances, God is in control. Despite all the madness and craziness and tumult, God is in control. He is directing all things. But secondly, this picture gives us confidence to act. Sometimes the idea that God is on his throne is used to say, don't do anything, you're good. Just rest, just Trust God. But really, when we really know that God is sovereign and in control, it actually does, it persuades us to act. Think about Daniel. Daniel knew that God was on his throne. He saw this vision. How did that affect his life? Did he simply say, well, if God's on his throne, I'm just going to just chill. I'm just going to rest. No. Daniel, because he knew God was on his throne, he was courageous. He was bold. That's why he was able to speak truth to power. That's why he was able to tell King Belshazzar, your time's up. That's why he was able to face the lions. He knew the power behind everything. The the idea of God's fiery throne emboldens us. It gives us courage to act. When I was growing up, I had a Nintendo. Like the first Nintendo, not the Switch the GameCube, like I had original Nintendo. They had these cartridges that I had a hard time, I had to blow on it to get it to work. I had to do like a worship service and pray for it, for it to work. And one of my favorite games was a game called Contra. If you are a little older, you might remember that. And uh, it was the first kind of buddy uh, military shooter game. And um, you start out with three lives, that's it. And it was impossible to finish the game with three lives. But then I heard a rumor. I mean, there's, there's a cheat code. This is like the first cheat code ever. And uh, because of that cheat code, you had 30 lives. You can, and it completely changed the way you played the game. You played aggressively, you played courageously. You can win the battle. You can finish the game actually. You know, Daniel had a lot of confidence because he knew ultimately the power of God was behind him. Daniel had the ultimate cheat code. He knew what was coming. He knew the power of God sustaining him, above him, beyond him, around him. And because of that, it changed the game. You know, David Brooks, he, uh, in one of his books, he talks about a story of a man who just finished with a job interview. He's talking with a human resource director. And all of a sudden, a question occurs to him, and he asks her, and he says, what would you do, what would you be doing if you weren't afraid? This question just pops into his head. He asks her, what would you be doing with your life if you weren't afraid? 
and she just starts to cry because she realizes this is not what actually she would be doing. So I ask you that question. What would you be doing with your life if you had no fears? How would you live differently? You know, in Acts chapter 7, uh, there is the first martyr in the New Testament. His name is Stephen. And he is testifying to this hostile crowd about God. And he's able to really fearlessly call them out. Fearlessly. And proclaim to them Jesus, who they desperately need. And they get so upset with Stephen, but Stephen doesn't flinch. Why is that? Well, it says in Acts 7, verse 55, But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven, and he saw the glory of God. And Jesus, where was he? Standing at the right hand of God. What gives Stephen courage? He sees past the human, past the anger, past the people. He looks into heaven, and he sees Jesus. And he has this confidence and this peace about him. He's not afraid. That's what, that's what this vision can do for you. It can give you confidence. Confidence to act. Confidence to live fully and truly for things that matter. But here's the final thing. Daniel shows us a true enemy, a true king. But he gives us a vision for the final chapter. The hope of the kingdom. In Daniel 7, it begins with this terrifying vision of four beasts. Uh, the, they're create, creating havoc on the world. But in the last book of the Bible, we finally see what those beasts are about. And we alluded to it earlier, but let's look at Revelation 13, 1-2. It says, And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns, seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its head. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to the dragon gave his power and his throne. And to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. Revelation 13, there is this picture uh, of the great beast. And guess what? This beast includes all the images of the four beasts in Daniel chapter 7. All of them are there. There, We see attributes of the lion, the bear, the leopard, and the final beast as well. It's all in this one beast. Revelation tells us ultimately the beast is the Antichrist. He is Satan who sets himself up against God. But in Daniel and in Revelation, ultimately... The beast is defeated and destroyed. By who? By the Son of Man. You know, in Daniel 7, uh, right at the end, there is a figure called the Son of Man. Someone who looks like a human being, but is divine. This is a very confusing image. Is he a Son of Man? Is he a human being? But he's these divine attributes. He's powerful. Ultimately, he comes on a cloud. And he destroys, and he judges, and he redeems. And he brings together a people of God from every tribe and tongue and nation. The beast divides, violently conquers. The son unifies and brings an ultimate peace. Who is this son of man? Well, in the Gospels, Jesus constantly refers to himself as what? 
the Son of Man. That's his title. That's what he calls himself. In Mark chapter 14, verse 61 to 62, it says this, But he remained and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Jesus says, I'm the Son of Man. He directly references Daniel 7. He says, and I'm going to come with the clouds of heaven. Jesus is that Son of Man. Jesus has come down as a human being. He is God incarnate. God who takes on flesh. On the cross, Jesus would defeat our greatest enemies. Sin and death. He would overcome all of the darkness and destroy it. Disarmament, and one day he's going to come again on a cloud and bring a final resolution and ultimately defeat all that is evil. He's finally going to kick hell out of this world and he's going to finally bring us home to a new heavens and a new earth. And as God's people, we are called to trust this Son of Man, believe Him, trust Him with your life, and also hope in His. Second coming. He is going to come on a cloud of glory. He will redeem everything. But we don't just have to wait for heaven. Now we have the Holy Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit takes what is Jesus's and what is in heaven and he brings it to us. Now we are filled with the Holy Spirit. Now we can get the stuff of heaven now. Not completely, but now. Now we're called to live. Think about heaven. It's a place of beauty, a place of peace. A place of racial reconciliation and multiculturalism. It's every tribe, every people, every nation. They're together in unity, worshiping God. It's a place where God is enlarged and glorified. And now what we are called to do is to live that way now. The prayer that Jesus teaches us to pray is, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth just like it's in heaven. We're called to live as heavenly citizens. We are called to live uh, now in light of the future. You know, as we close, one of the um, ideas of apocalyptic literature is it was supposed to wake you up. It's supposed to wake up sleepy people to the realities that surrounded us. You know, when I was young, uh, someone gave me this Bible when I was really young. I don't think it was quite for children. Uh, they thought it was because it was a graphic version of the Bible. It was like a graphic Bible, but this it was really graphic. Like it had pictures of John the Baptist's head uh, on a platter. It had these graphic pictures, and I, the Book of Revelation was scary. It was crazy. There are these ter- they, they pictured these terrifying beasts. Jesus was not like the Jesus I had seen before. Jesus was his eyes were a flame of fire. He was ripped up. He had a tattoo. He had tats that said, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. He looked crazy. He looked scary. And, you know, when you think about Revelation and apocalyptic literature, it was a little bit like that. It was supposed to wake you up. In many ways, it's supposed to scare you. It's supposed to alarm you. And what it was supposed to do is supposed to awaken you to something greater, something in one sense more terrifying, but in another sense more beautiful. That beyond this world there is someone 
more beautiful, more powerful. And we are constantly to awaken ourselves to that reality. You know, one of the things I love about Jesus is that we talked about animals representing nations and how animals were, every nation chooses powerful animals, predators. What animal does Jesus choose to represent himself? What is the animal that Jesus chooses? And the answer is, Jesus is a lamb of God. You know, no nation would choose a lamb. A lamb is not a predator, it's prey. It's totally defenseless. It's weak. And yet Jesus says, I'm not, I'm not this predator. I'm not a bear. I'm a lamb. And my mission is to lay down my life for you. To become powerless. To sacrifice myself. To win you over. To pay your debt. And to bring you to myself and in all of heaven what we're going to be singing we're not going to be singing about these great beasts we're going to be singing the song worthy is the lamb who was slain would you be awakened not just to God's power but to God's love God's sacrifice Uh, would you see in Jesus someone who is not just mighty but who is humble who loves you who's going to wipe every tear from your eye And would you be awakened with the love of God and the beauty of Jesus be like a 4K THX surround sound? Would that move you to live with confidence in spite of the darkness, with hope and with joy? Please join me in prayer. Father, we give you thanks for these things. Thank you that... Uh, This picture of Daniel is filled with a lot of darkness, but ultimate light. And Lord, right now we confess we feel a lot of the darkness now. Uh, But give us hope that the light is breaking in. The story is not ending. Help us to see that there is a son of man who is coming riding on a cloud. Give us hope to live with that kind of confidence and peace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.